happy Monday and welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Aaron Summers, shortly to be joined by John DeShazer. This week, we are going to preview the NFL draft. The draft kicks off on April 28th in Las Vegas. Players are going to walk the red carpet at the Bellagio starting around 345 Central. There will be musical performances throughout the night with the actual draft starting at 7 o'clock Central. Friday will be a 6 o'clock start, Saturday 11 Central. We're going to go around the NFC South this week to take a look at what our division foes are planning to do in next week's draft. Let's start it off with the Atlanta Falcons and NFL Network's Steve Weish. Steve, thank you so much for joining John DeShazer and myself on the New Orleans Saints podcast. We are gearing up for the 2022 NFL Draft. We're going around the NFC South, and we're making a stop with the Atlanta Falcons and yourself today. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great morning out here in L.A. Uh, Draft coming up, NBA playoffs in full effect. Pels, making it exciting. You got to love it. It's definitely been fun around New Orleans, considering the way that the Pelican season has gone. But we are still focused on the Saints and what they're going to do this upcoming season, as well as some of their opponents. So we know a lot has happened with the Atlanta Falcons over the offseason, obviously trading Matt Ryan. Everybody wants to know, are the Falcons going to draft a quarterback? Is that their biggest need at this point? It's their biggest need. I mean, no, no question. But are they going to draft one at eight? See, that's the issue. They got the number eight pick. And, you know, you talk to the people who are doing the evaluations around the league, and this is for months. This isn't your typical run-up to the draft, disguising and, and things like this. Eight might be a little rich in terms of, you know, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, you know, all these guys coming out right now are developmental guys, right? And then you look at the Falcons roster, too. It, it is a developmental roster right now with a bunch of people on one- and two-year deals. So do you want to take that quarterback now who's not going to play right away? And if he does, he'd have to play with a team where he may not have a chance for, for you know, immediate success. Um, or do you want to maybe take one in the second round, right? Because maybe some of these guys will slip into the second round and you've got the capital to trade up to the back end of the first round um, if you want to do that. And that seems more like the, you know, like the likely scenario. Again, they need a quarterback. Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota is a bridge quarterback for them. Um, but it just seems that eight, they'd really have to fall in love with one of these guys and be committed to developing him with a roster that's not going to be in place next year and the year after if they want to you know, make a selection that high. It, there's been a lot of talk about this quarterback draft class maybe not being the strongest of late. Is this something where maybe they kind of put this off till next year even? That's always a risky. That's always a risky proposition, especially because other than Mario, the only backup is Felipe Franks. And, and you see some teams say, "Okay, we're going to wait till next year and go through the kind of the situation the Falcons are going through, right? Just having guys again on one and two year deals and get our guy next year." Well, suppose this guy has a bad season, right? Or suppose he gets hurt, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then you're really, you know, what are you going to do? Or suppose some of the guys you thought were going to be available in free agency all of a sudden are not available in free agency or those players get hurt. So that's always, you know, the conundrum that these personnel evaluators have to say, like, if we like a guy, maybe he's not ready this year, but we're not ready this year. Let's get him and develop him in our system. Then, we're, then we'll play him the following year. So that that's kind of where they are. Again, waiting until next year is always a crapshoot. Or maybe, look, think about the Dolphins, the old tank for Tua thing. 
They won more games than anybody was expecting them to win. They still ended up with Tua, but now they're going to be second-guessed because they bypassed on Justin Herbert, right? And so those are always the things. And for those of us who have covered the NFL for a while when it comes to quarterbacks, nothing motivates them more than job security. And when you hear, when you hear a general manager say, we went for this guy to develop him, oh, but you didn't draft. You know, you drafted Mitch Trubisky ahead of uh, Patrick Mahomes. Look how that turned out for the people who made that decision. So those are other factors you also have to incorporate into the thinking of whether you draft a quarterback now or not. Steve, I know you're, you're with, you know, covering the Falcons some now. And, and of course, their general manager is a dear friend of the program, Terry Fontenot. Um, what have you thought about Terry's roster development, roster overhaul, uh, the whole thing since last season, because he's had a lot of work to do there. And as you mentioned, you know, now looking for a quarterback, maybe having to look for a receiver in some other areas also. Receiver, edge, quarterback, <laughs> corner, running back, offensive line, you name it. It's pin the tail on the donkey for Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith. I mean, for real, they could go anywhere. They lost their best linebacker, Foye Aluakon to Jacksonville. Galvin Ridley, he's out indefinitely. Um, so look for Terry, look, they, they hit last year on Kyle Pitts and they have a couple promising guys, you know, the defensive end, um, Hogan Deji, um, it w- was a nice pickup, but some of the other players are still a little slow in coming along. And now you just completely have gutted the roster and, you know, look, the Falcons deservedly so or not are taking hits because after they failed to get Deshaun Watson, it did not look like they had a plan B in place, right? Did not get him. Trade Matt Ryan, eating all of Matt Ryan's cap dead money. Don't forget Julio Jones' dead money of $15 million is on the cap this year, too. Yeah. He hasn't been on their team for a year. And, and so they're going through all of this. And it looks like the rebuild or the progression of building the roster that they started last year has now taken a hit. It's the old cliche I heard when I used to cover the NBA from a great Sixers fan. They look two years away from being two years away. You know, they, they stunted – you know, they stunted the progress. You know, you always hear coaches, so don't deviate from the process. And it looked like when they made the run for Deshaun Watson, they deviated from the process without having a solid backup plan. Mm-hmm. And now, was that Terry's decision? Was it Arthur Smith's decision? Was it Arthur Blank's decision? We don't know. Um, but it seems like they got ambushed a little bit in terms of their planning, making a go, you know, 11th hour run at this. So, you know, this is where you hope the owner is patient because they made this play and it didn't work out. And again, the process they started rolling took a left turn. And, you know, they hope they get, he's got to hope they hit the nail in the draft to get it back on track. You're based on the West Coast, so you know this better than we do. How much juice does Marcus Mariota have? Well, you know, look, I saw him last couple, couple seasons in Las Vegas. He's got juice, right? He, we know he can run. He's going to fit into what Arthur Smith does. That's that RPO-type system. He can run. He's got the big arm. He can hit the, the run action over the top, deep ball. So if he fits in, that's okay. But remember, Arthur Smith was also part of the coaching staff that benched Marcus for Ryan Tannehill, you know, back in Tennessee. So Marcus, you know, I've talked to him. He's, he's very introspective. I mean, that was, that's a humbling experience, right? You in New Orleans have seen Jameis Winston go through the same thing. Remember, Marcus and Jameis were one and two in that draft. Jameis has humbled himself. 
He has built his career back. And now he is the Saints starting quarterback. Marcus is kind of hoping to go through the same journey to get that opportunity. So we'll see. But the op- the thing is that's different. Saints got players, right? Saints, the Saints have a playoff type of roster. Marcus is coming into a roster. They got a lot of people's discards. You know, they got a lot of decent players who are competitive for a year or two, but they're players that other teams didn't want. And so it's, it's a different situation. So Marcus may have all the juice or whatever, but does he have the support around him um, to help him? I do think the culture that Arthur Smith, which is a no accuses culture that he established last year, will help uh, Marcus in this roster in that way. Um, but it's, you know, once you once you start playing games, it's a 17 game season. Can you consistently play at that level to compete? Steve, what's the sense of, of how the Falcons fan base is accepting this? Because we know, you know, Saints fans have a lot of have a lot of fun at you know the expense of the Falcons. You think? Base. But <laughs> but how accepting are they of it? Because you know, I guess at some point every franchise goes through this transition. Uh, where you, you know, and they've had a Hall of Fame quarterback, Matt Ryan, for a lot of years that kind of gave them hope. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, okay, we got to take a few steps back. How accepting is the fan base of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Because, look, some teams make it abundantly clear, right? We are rebuilding. We are Mm -hmm. kickstarting things. The Falcons are saying, no, this is a transitional period because say we're rebuilding, it's not fair to the guys who are on the roster. So I get that. Transparency to the fan, to me, is very important. So to see how the Falcons fan base is, is taking this, you have to hope in some way that they're mad, they're angry, they're understanding, as opposed to being apathetic. Right? We know the biggest danger to any major league sports franchise, you have baseball, football, basketball, is apathy. And so this is where transparency to the sports fan is important because you can never – underestimate the passion and the IQ of a sports fan because sports is the one thing that an eighth grade dropout has in common with someone with four master's degrees and a PhD, Mm -hmm. right? They can all talk sports. So do not ever underestimate their passion and their intellect and their intelligence for what's going on. And you have to hope that's not what's going on here as the Falcons, again, try to be competitive as they feel the roster while building a roster. Okay, now I'm going to veer a little bit to an off ramp here before I let Aaron get you back onto the right ramp. But first I've got to thank you for, for your contributions to the HBCU uh, legacy bowl that was in new Orleans. Uh, fantastic job there. Um, you know, for you all who don't know, Steve went to the Mecca Howard university uh, in DC. <laughs> and, and the, man, the man reps, his, he reps his school and, um, and Steve has a hot, a huge hand. Uh, in the Legacy Bowl. Uh, first, your thoughts on, on the Legacy Bowl and, and its future, because, you know, it seems like this is something that hopefully will take flight and really, really grow. Uh, it was an incredible experience. I mean, look, first off, thank you to Tulane University um, for allowing us to have the game. And, and thanks to the Saints. I mean, now the Saints sponsored, uh, you know, career fair. They, they put a lot of money into the career fair um, for students in the New Orleans area and for the players and anyone who wanted to come be involved. So it was a great experience. You had a week's worth of practices, much like the Senior Bowl, where every team was represented. 
I mean, the Saints were deep. Jeff Ireland, you know, they had a lot of personnel people there. But a lot, every team was represented to speak to some of these draft-eligible players. So they got that experience, right, which they typically do not get because, like, this year, I think only two or three HBCU players, maybe four actually, were invited to the regular combine. So a lot more players now were exposed to these NFL teams and, and vice versa. Um, the game itself was okay. Typical all-star game where you had some elements. The offensive lines weren't great for either team. So the quarterback, like Aquil Glass out of Alabama A&M, was a draft eligible yeah. player, didn't really get to shine. But then we saw some other players shine. So it was a great experience for these kids, great experience for NFL. Per- and the feedback we've gotten from the NFL teams is great. Like, we hope this goes on forever. And we do have a commitment on the NFL Network's going to broadcast this game uh, for future years. The sponsorships are involved for future years. People like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Donald and Teron Armstead and James Winston, players who contributed, hopefully more will contribute. So there's a commitment for this game to go on in future years. Um, So it'll be bigger and better next year. It's going to go a little bit later because of a conflict with Mardi Gras. So it's going to it's going to come off a little bit closer to the combine. But Tulane University and everybody else are going to make this happen again. Yeah, we're excited to continue that relationship and have it be here in New Orleans. It was a great event to see and all the coverage and what went into it was really fun. I will bring us back to the original topic at hand, though, (laughs) and the NFL draft. We talked about the Falcons and all of their needs. They have nine picks in this upcoming draft. Is this a situation where you can't go the same position twice? I mean, because there are so many needs. Oh, you absolutely can go the same position twice. Um, look, depth, talent, nine picks, open roster. Um, you got to go. So when you get, I, I'm always like, if you're picking in the top 10, this best player available stuff is complete poppycock, right? <laughs> that's why that's why quarterbacks go ahead of, of the best talent, right? That's why Aaron yeah. Donald drops into the teens when he gets drafted, right? So once you get past a top 10, top 15 pick where you're, where you're drafting for need, it's best player. So let's say the Falcons go edge at eight, come back in the second round, and the best player there is another edge rusher. Take them, right? Or even though they've got a stud corner uh, in A.J. Terrell and they just signed Casey Hayward, if there's a young corner there, you take him. You know, th- this is – there is nothing wrong with going to the same position well twice when you have so many needs, but if that is the best talent, bring them in, develop that talent. You know, the one thing that gets overlooked a lot, we we put so much on the players and the talent and the evaluation of these players, coach them up, right? If you get two players at the same position and you've got rotational depth, figure out, play their strengths and coach them up. We do not, we do not put enough accountability on coaches for the successes and failures of some of these players. You know, sometimes square pegs are put in round holes. That doesn't always work. So coach these guys up. Go to the same position if you have to. Can't ever have enough DBs. Can't ever have enough edge rushers. And yet can never have enough offensive line. All right. So the number eight pick overall for the Atlanta Falcons, you've said it several times. I think you want an edge rusher. You did write about that as well. Is, mm-hmm. is that what you think their, their pick is going to be the first pick that they have? I do. And that column was based on the fact that's the strength of the top end of this draft, right? The Falcons had 18 sacks last year. 18, TJ Watt had 23. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, think of the number 18. I think the next the next lowest team had like 30 as a team. So when you have nobody who can win one-on-one on the edge, when you have five dudes at the top of this draft who, frankly, you could draft top five, all of them, one, two, three, four, five, who play that position. Okay, great. There's some great wide receivers there. There's some great corners there. And again, there's a quarterback option. But I'm looking at the weakness of my team, the strength of this draft. And if you don't get one high, they're not going to be there when you get to the later rounds, whereas the other positions, you can find a wide receiver, a corner, and a quarterback in the later rounds. It's just me. But, yeah, no, the Saints got Cam Jordan. They've got Marcus Davenport, you know, the, you know, the Bucks. They got Shaq Barrett. You know, they got Tryon. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, you need a couple of these guys to win in the NFL. Yeah, you need somebody to join the party. I think uh, Cam Jordan was the most disappointed person when he found out that Matt Ryan was no longer going to be with the Falcons because of the success that he's had against him, for sure. So we'll see what happens on that front. Uh, Offensive weapons, the wide receiver definitely took a hit with the Calvin Ridley suspension. I think historically the Falcons have always had a great wide receiver. You, You go back to Roddy White, and then you mentioned Julio Jones. Is that something that they need to solidify outside of, you said, the Kyle Pitts as the tight end and Cordero Patterson, obviously a, a threat, but what about yes. wide receiver? Who do you like there? Yeah, well, I mean, also look at the fact that Russell Gage, mm-hmm. he was he's with the Buccaneers now. Yeah. I mean, DBs line up against the Falcons like, yeah, let's play that cat coverage. I got that cat. You got that cat. <laughs> you got that cat, and we're good. We're letting the other eight guys just get after them. Um, there's a ton of great wide receivers right here. You know, you look at both the guys uh, from Ohio State. You look at, you know, the Alabama threats. Um, you know, but again, there's depth there. This is this is one where if you get into the second round, you know, uh, what's the sky? Um, is it Sky Moore? I forget. There's a kid in North Dakota State. So there, there's players there. Look at some of the great players who just signed massive contract extensions at wide receivers. Tyreek Hill, all these guys. Not one of them was a first-round draft pick, right? So you can – I mean, again, I'm looking at the strength of this draft. There's definitely some stud wide receivers there, and you can nail it in the first round at wide receiver. But edge players are so hard to find. We'll see. But they – yes, wide receiver, pin the tail on a donkey. You talk about drafting the same position, they they could draft two or three because that's how many they need. Don't be talking about Ohio State receivers because you know the Saints have an affinity for Ohio State players, and you know the Saints need a receiver. So don't be throwing that out there for the <laughs> thinking about this. Oh, 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 like they don't have multiple? Like they, don't, don't the Saints have multiple picks? <laughs> hey, the Saints can do just fine. They've got some flexibility right there. So, so Steve, realistically, where are the Falcons in terms of because this division seems to be in a bit of a transition, you know, even though Tom Brady did, you know, come out of retirement, you know, faster than, you know, I changed socks, but, you know, where can the Falcons be in terms of competing in this division again, you know, you know, giving some hope to the fan base. Well, look, I, I think the seven wins last year showed you that Arthur Smith can coach. Yeah. Right. You know, cause Matt Ryan took a beating, 
again, the skill positions, even Russell Gage being there, he was hurt for much of the year with an ankle injury and wasn't the same guy. They got seven wins out of a team with 18 sacks with very few takeaways. They somehow managed, you know, the leg of young way coup is, was, is a gift. Yeah. So I'm looking at this roster. If they get back to seven wins this year, Arthur Smith should probably be in competition for coach of the year. Um, it is going to be tough. You look at the schedule within a division. I think, um, the Bucks are clearly are on paper the favorite. I don't think people should, should, you know, ride off the Saints. I mean, this is a run where they've got to hit. The Saints got to hit it in a couple of years, too, just based on the makeup of their roster. We're getting Michael Thomas back. I think Jameis is going to come back fine. Got to get a left tackle situation addressed, you know, but that's where these two draft picks can come in handy. Um, but, you know, look, the Panthers and the Falcons got work to do. They're very much in the same boat. Panthers have a little bit more of a younger talent nucleus to develop, but their coaching situation is a little bit more precarious than any, anyone in the division. <clears throat> so look, the Falcons, I mean, I think respectability like last year um, is what they might consider successful. I mean, Arthur Smith wouldn't want to win ball games, but it, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough year with their cap situation and their, and their roster situation. Well, we definitely appreciate the time, Steve, joining us, talking about the Falcons, the draft, and beyond. It's always a pleasure to have you, and it's great insight for us to kind of mull over for the next week and a half until the draft happens. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. Always great when we get a chance to talk to Steve on the New Orleans Saints podcast. You can follow him at Weish89 on Twitter. That's at W-Y-C-H-E-8-9 on Twitter. On Wednesday, we'll talk Carolina with the new voice of the Panthers, Anish Shroff. Friday, it's all about the Bucks. Thanks for tuning in for the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Erin Summers. Have a great day.